Good morning, church. It's good to be back. I, I understand you were blessed uh, by the guys that uh, filled the pulpit while I was gone on both Sundays and Wednesdays. If you were here, I heard Warren uh, spoke well. We are in the book of Genesis beginning today. So if you don't have a Bible, raise your hand and someone from the back will bring a Bible to you. If you don't own a Bible, feel free to keep it as a gift from us to you. Um, enjoy what the gift that we have that is the Word of God. So hands up nice and high. If you don't know where Genesis is, then you got big trouble. First book of the Bible, find it very easily. Probably one of the most read books of the Bible because everybody starts there at Genesis 1-1. So we'll be going through the whole book of Genesis from chapter 1, verse 1. What a great place to start, right? And we'll go all the way through uh, the story of Joseph there toward the end of Genesis. So I'm excited. I understand that some of you are excited about this as well. Tell you what we're going to do this morning as we get ready to get into Genesis. We're just going to take a moment and be silent. If there's something on your heart, something on your mind, pray over that silently where you sit. Uh, If not, twiddle your thumbs and wait till I pray, and then I'll bring us into uh, Genesis chapter 1. Father, we just uh, humble ourselves again at your feet. Acknowledge, uh, again, fresh for ourselves, the thing we've always known, that you are our creator, the one who we call Father and uh, maker, of, maker of the heavens and the earth. Lord, we, um, we are desiring great, to more and more degrees to be inspired in our worship by the acknowledgement of the things we learn in Genesis. So, Lord, we, we just open our hearts to you and pray that, that um, you would break down barriers and break down walls and deal with um, arguments against you uh, that we have to deal with, Lord, that you'd help us to be confident in who you are, confident in who we are, and confident in where we're going uh, to once again be uh, united to you uh, for all eternity. Lord, I pray that that my words would be uh, with accuracy, uh, with passion, um, with faith, Lord, that, that nothing I say would be uh, misspoken or inaccurate, Lord. I pray that uh, your spirit would be guiding this whole time for us together. Guide us through your word. May your spirit be our teacher. Open our eyes to show us wondrous things. It's in Jesus' name we pray. And all God's people said, amen. Genesis 1.1. Let's just read the first th- uh, three verses today. Excuse me, the first two verses. And then we'll, um, we'll talk about it. Genesis 1.1, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void, and darkness was on the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. That's about all we're going to get to today, which is a little bit out of the ordinary. Normally, uh, we cover much larger passages, but this is such an absolutely essential and important place for us to begin uh, as I was deciding where to go next as as a Bible study, you know, for where are we going to go from, from, you know, we were in Second Peter and we'd been in, in the Gospels. And, and I felt like 2015 was a year where uh, we just needed to, to reaffirm the foundation of our faith. And where would you go besides Genesis to do that? Uh, Ken Ham is convinced that all the answers are in Genesis, and those of you that know his ministry. Uh, without doubt, Genesis, well, l- let's go back even further. The Bible itself I think uh, many would say and agree that is the most influential 
and best-selling book in the history of mankind. It's, so, it's, it's the best-selling book. It's the number one-selling book in the world in human history. Uh, of the Bible, uh, of the 66 books in the Bible, the first book, Genesis, is probably the most influential. Again, where are you going to start reading? If you pick up your Bible, I'll start in Genesis 1.1. You get to chapter 5, and you go, ah, I don't get all this. And you begets and begets and begots. And, but everybody that's, that's touched a Bible has probably read a Genesis chapter 1. So, but Genesis is probably the most influential. The first 11 uh, chapters speak about the origins of all kinds of things. Matter of fact, that's what Genesis means. Origin, source, or coming into being. Now, if you do a Google search, which I did for Genesis, it didn't take me long to figure out that not only does it mean those things, is also uh, the first result from my Google search on Genesis was a British rock band formed in 1967. Anybody here Phil Collins fan? Yeah. So as we, as we look at Genesis from beginning to end, the first 11 chapters, uh, birth of the universe, time, matter, energy, humanity, animal life, work, rest, worship, marriage and family, male and female, ethics, sin, religion, sacrifice, language, murder, and, and the birth of all the nations of the world, all mankind. These are all in this book of origins. So of the first 11 chapters, chapter 1, no doubt, is talking about the creation, specifically focused. We talk about the universe and the earth and the heavens, but then the specific focus of Genesis is on the creation of the earth. It doesn't get into how the sun was created and how you know, the Milky Way was created. No details on that, but a lot of details on the creation of the earth and its inhabitants. And then if you go even deeper than that, chapter 1, we get down to the very first verse that begins with, in the beginning, God created. And that is probably the single most important line of prose ever written in, in the history of the world. That verse. So as I come to Genesis, I've been very uh, nervous about teaching through this because of the weight that this carries, the things we'll talk about. So a few kind of th- things to lay the groundwork. I'm not a scientist. So I, I do have a, I was a biology major in college, so I love studying the science behind these things. And, and I spent a lot of time the last couple of weeks doing just that, which I hope I will be able to present what is meaningful in terms of its relationship to, to the Genesis account. But don't expect from me a defense of creationism and an uh, explanation of Darwinism. I, I'm not qualified to do that. So I will direct you, though, to uh, if you're interested in these things and studying more, and, and I do suggest that you do so that you're prepared to give an answer for what you believe, for the hope that you have in you. Uh, there's a man named Stephen B. Meyer. If you're interested in uh, studying more about creationism or intelligent design, then anything you can read or watch on, on YouTube by Stephen B. Meyer, very fascinating. He's, he wrote a book called The Signature in the Cell about DNA and how uh, how DNA is language and, and some of those things. So now I'll leave that to the experts, to the scientific community. Uh, so don't expect those from me, although we will talk a little bit about science because certainly uh, the study of science points us directly to the existence of God. 
And, and you may not know this, I often reference how Christianity changed the world, the book that I've, I've read. Uh, in that book talks about how uh, science, the scientific community, almost every major branch of science was founded or begun by a Christian. Almost every major branch of science. And you can go through right, right through the scientific community and look at the names, and it, you know, from Louis Pasteur to Copernicus to Galileo, I mean, all these different scientists that are so well-known. And you can trace back, not only, many of them were not only scientists, but they were theologians, some of them. And had, had their roots were, were in the belief, and this is why it's so important, their roots were in the belief that science makes sense because of God. Because God is not only creative, but he's also a God of order. And that's what cosmos means. It's a Greek word that means order. And so the study of, the, of God, the knowledge of God, led them to an interest in investigating the world that God created. None of which, they, you know, we, can't, we have no control over the, the laws of gravity, the, the laws that govern our universe. All we can do is study them and submit to them. But they all reveal the glory of God. That's what Romans 1 say, says, the things that, um, that God has revealed are the things that he's revealed in creation that tell us about who he is. So Genesis 1.1, tremendously important because it deals with the issue of origins, of origins, where, and it anticipates the question. As you look at Genesis 1.1, you can anticipate a person in any age throughout history from the beginning to now looking at the world we live in, looking up at the sky and, and, and not seeing the end of it, looking at the stars or those twinkling things up there in that black you know, backdrop, looking at the trees and everything that exists and going, why am I here? Does life have meaning? What's the purpose? Where did it all come from? And we're curious about that, very curious about those things. In fact, maybe you know someone who was adopted or you were adopted. And you know that, that deep down, greedy curiosity and desire to know where I came from. And kids will ask that question, right? I, I got that book. My parents handed it to me growing up. You know, or when I asked the question, you know, where did I come from? There was the book called, Where Did I Come From? Anybody else have to read that or know that book? It's a hippie book, I think. I'm not sure. But where did I come from? And it goes through the birds and the bees. But there's this desire to know uh, when you travel. You want to know what's your country of origin. Where are you from? And, and even uh, there's so many that desire even nowadays to get back to their roots nationalistically because roots involve our identity. If I know where I'm from, then I know who I am. Right? In, in a certain way. And how much more deep could you go other than to even trace beyond your nationality, which we'll deal with in, in Genesis, but right down to the fact that you were created in the image of God. That, my friends, is where it all begins. And that's where, uh, that's where your identity, if you are going to form a healthy identity, chance doesn't do that for you. In the beginning, chance doesn't work. In the beginning, God helps you to know where you're from, where your roots are, where your origins are. It answers those big Questions for you of, does life have meaning? Where am I from? Why am I here? Science can't answer those questions. Look, science can't answer the question, why? Science might try to answer the question, how? And we have differences of opinion on that. 
But science cannot answer for you the question why, right? That's a question of philosophy. That's a question of theology, I would say. But we are inherently curious, and I can imagine as, as the person sits and looks and goes, why am I here? What's it all about? Where did this all come from? God said, I'm glad you asked. In the beginning, God created. And it's so simply stated, isn't it? I mean, it couldn't be more profound and yet more simple. There's no argument. There's, there's no discussion about how long it took. There's no discussion about why he created. It doesn't tell us why here in this verse. Just the fact, if you're looking for, to get back to your roots, if, look, if you're looking for your identity to be in your origins or your originality, then you look no farther than Genesis 1-1, in the beginning, God. And we move off of that, right? So I meet people, like in the downtown mall, when I, if, if I'm doing evangelism, and I say, I don't know your parents, but I know you've got them. Why? Because you exist. Your existence is the proof of your parents. Isn't that true? If, again, if you're adopted, why would you search for your parents if they didn't exist? That would be crazy, right? Well, I don't know. Maybe my parents just don't exist. You would never say that because your existence is the proof because things don't come into being spontaneously. We know, that we, and we look for causes. That we're wired to look for causes, aren't we? We're wired to think that way. We're wired deep down inside to say, well, if something happens, there must be a cause for that. And so when it comes to our lives, our own existence, we do the same thing. We look, where's the call? Where did we come from? And, and that, that, any individual, you can speak to any individual that way. I don't know your parents, but your existence is the very proof uh, of the fact that they exist. And our existence, the existence of this world, the existence of this universe, is proof of nothing short of the fact that God himself exists. Now put whatever else you want in there and try to work that out. It doesn't work. So how important are origins? They're very important. Genesis is the book that deals with the origins of everything. Or I'll say almost everything. And we'll, we'll talk about that in a little while. I, I say almost everything because obviously in the beginning, God. But we'll, we'll get there in a minute. Uh, the challenge of the day and age we live in, and since the time of, of Darwin's uh, work, uh, what is Darwin's work called? Origin of species. See, Darwin also, uh, looking at, at things in his time and then extrapolating back, trying to apply what I see now, and then working backwards to make assumptions and inferences about what happened at the beginning, boldly makes a statement. Have you ever thought about that? He makes a statement and claims that he has discovered or somehow been able to explain the origin of species. And it's an alternate to what God said. It is, in some ways, you could say, anti Christ. Anti doesn't mean just against, it means instead of. We know what your Bible says, but we're offering you an alternative to believe in because the world at large rejects God and therefore it needs to find some other alternate explanation for our existence. Well, if there's no God, then why are we here? How are we here? If, if that's not the answer, then what is the answer? And the onus of, of responsibility of proof is, let me be clear about this, is not on us. We are not the ones that have to defend ourselves and prove God's existence. You can't do it. But as we go through the study in Genesis, you'll find that those that believe in a very materialistic uh, explanation for the origins of things, they also can't explain it. And, and again, we'll, we'll look more into that idea as we go through. Uh, 
So in the beginning is where we start. Everybody agrees, I think, that there was a beginning. Uh, most of the scientific community uh, would agree. We, uh, we believe it in terms of God. They would say the Big Bang. Now, I did a little bit of research on the Big Bang, and I have a biology background. That doesn't mean a whole lot. Um, but I enjoy biology, and I enjoy studying these things. And I got to, to thinking about you know, the fact that scientists agree pretty much universally that the universe is expanding, that the Big Bang was a time when the universe was very dense and fit into a very small volume, and then that suddenly and miraculously expanded uh, into the universe that we, as we know it today. And to this day, they say the universe is, universe is continue, continuing to expand from that, um, that time, that period, that time when, when everything started. But here's some things that I want you to think about. Um, the Big Bang is actually not a theory. I'm, I'm quoting this. I'm not making this up. I'm reading this to you, and then I'll tell you the source when I'm done. The Big Bang is actually not a theory at all, but rather a scenario about the early moments of our universe. So next time someone talks to you about the theory of Big Bang, say, uh-uh, just a scenario, just a possibility for the way things might have started in your way of thinking. The, the, it's not a theory, but it's a scenario about the early moments of, the, of our universe for which the evidence is overwhelming. That's what they say. But the Big Bang scenario cannot be the whole story, and its details are a subject of intense research. It's a common misconception that the Big Bang was the origin of the universe. Now, let me read that again. It's a common misconception that the Big Bang was the origin of the universe. In reality, the Big Bang scenario is completely silent about how the universe came into existence in the first place. Is that surprising to some of you? Because we've been taught, well, this is how everything came into being through the Big Bang. This is not a Christian source, by the way. I'll give you the source in a minute, but it's not a Christian source. It's a secular source. In fact... The closer we look to time zero, the less certain we are about what actually happened because our current description of physical laws do not yet apply to such extremes of nature. And for that, I direct them to Genesis 1-1, right? We can be sure. That's another story. The Big Bang scenario simply assumes that space, time, and energy already existed. But it tells us nothing about where they came from or why the universe was born hot and dense to begin with. So the source for those quotes was just a small sort of um, a marginally intellectual uh, organization called the Harvard-Smithsonian Center for Astrophysics. The closer we look to time zero, that bang, the, you know, the less certain we are about what actually happened. And they don't see it as, a, they say it's silent about how the universe came into existence because you start to get into this thing where you say, well, in the beginning was the Big Bang. Well, what banged? And where did it come from? And then whatever made it, where did it come from? And you just go back down this whole trail looking for this thing we call the first cause. And, and it sort of fries our mind. And even if, if God is, is at the beginning, we go, well, where did he come from? Kids love to ask those questions, right? Where did I come from? Where did God come from? And I don't know. Go ask your father. Go ask your mother. I don't know. And so we find in the Gospel of John... The first verse there, in the beginning was the Word, the Logos. And the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And that Word became flesh and dwelt among us. Well, the word Logos, which we uh, translate as Word, 
it, it certainly, it, it sort of means first cause, you know, if, if you give the word, you know, hey, I, I give you my word, or I, you know, just give the, just say the word and we'll do it. That word has, it, it sends things into motion, right? So some would say in the, to the Greek mind that John was writing to, the word logos was very significant philosophically, and it meant the first cause. So they were all were, you know, wondering what was the first cause, and John says in the beginning was the word, or was the, and the word was with God, and the, word, the first cause is God. Now then what caused God? God needs no cause. The problem for us is everything that we know has a beginning, has an end. God dwells in a different place, outside of time and space. He's outside of his creation. He can't create uh, something that's bigger than himself, because then that would be God. You see how that works? Uh, so he stands outside of his creation, yet, and, and, and creates it, existing at the beginning, self-existent. That's what his name means, I am. The, ever pre, the, the present tense of the word that means to be. So God's name just simply means I am. I've always been. I'll always be. I am. I exist. That's literally what it means to exist. And it doesn't feel like he's got, he couldn't explain it to you. You couldn't get it. God says to you, look, you, know, you want to know where I came from? I, could, I can't explain it to you. Uh, I can't explain eternity. You just got to look out and think about where does the universe end? Now think about the laws of the universe we live in. Think about you know, the universe expanding. What's it expanding into? Where is it expanding to? When you get to the end of it, what's on the other side? Like, the universe is huge. The universe, many would say, is infinite. Now, how does that work? I don't know. I'm glad the book says, in the beginning, God. I can deal with that. Okay. Look, if you're going to think about these things, and you should, you're going to have to just deal with a little mystery. Whether you're a scientist who doesn't believe in God or you're a Christian who does. Nobody was there. And it cannot be proved scientifically. Even scientists, the, the astronomers, astrophysicists, they look down their telescope and it's like looking into a time machine because they're looking at light that left its source, they say, billions of years ago. And I love, they throw around billions of years like it's nothing. Like, eh, we could be off by a billion or two years, you know, but what's a billion or two years? Like, that's a long time. But they look down the telescope and they talk about billions in, uh, of years and hundreds of billions of years. The, the, the universe is, is that old. And, and it's like seeing in a time machine, seeing that light. But what they recognize is they can see back to like a fraction of a second after what they call the Big Bang happened. But they cannot see past that barrier. They cannot see what was happening before that happened. And then they will assume that there was something in existence already. They can't prove it. We can't prove it. God, you can't prove God. Not scientifically, because it can't be measured. You can't measure billions of years, right? You, you can't. There's nothing to, to gauge that by. And so whatever you believe, it takes faith. Because it can't be measured, can't be proven, can't be repeated. The whole scientific method is based on the ability to repeat and, and reproduce um, the, the uh, results, and it can't, can't happen. So, it, so this brings up a question. Though. So if nobody was there, Pastor Steve, then how do we know? Then who wrote this down? Wait a second here. You're telling me this Bible says, in the beginning God created, but nobody was there, so how do they know? Right? You ever think about that one? 
We just go, oh, yeah, in the beginning, God created. Well, who wrote that, and how'd they know if they weren't there? Because no, it says in the beginning, God. It didn't say in the beginning, God and the author of the book. Although the Holy Spirit is the author of the book, we believe. But most people take uh, Moses to be the author, or really the editor, of the first five books of the Bible. Jesus confirms this in some quotes where he quotes Moses and the prophets, assuming Moses was the author, or the, again, the editor of the first five books. But recognize this, Adam, we'll find out in chapter 5, Adam, the first Adam, lived all the way up until just before the time of Noah. Did you know that? So Noah would have, I mean, Adam would have known a lot of his, not just his kids, but his great-grandkids, his great-great-great-great-grandkids. So what's likely is that Adam, God revealed these things. God, Adam walked with God in the Garden of Eden, and God explained these things to him somehow, spoke to him. They had a relationship. And these things were passed down, whether written form or, or story form or however it was, and then finally recorded and edited by Moses, said they'd been passed down. So, you know, if you've got something better, go for it. <laughs> but that's the, that's the best we can do uh, with understanding how this can be written down. Moses it was likely the editor, probably handed down through Adam on through the generations until it was recorded and written down for our benefit. So, uh, in the beginning, God. Uh, we're, we're there, we're, we're God existed at the beginning. Uh, there was no universe, there was no human. Um, how do, do you complete the sentence that way? Is that, does that work for you in the beginning, God? Because if that doesn't work, look, let's be honest. If, if, if in the beginning chance, and, and every time you, I think chance is the God of the atheist. Because chance does a lot of stuff. Well, chance produced this, and chance did that, and chance did this. Chance gives a lot of the credit of volitional activity, doing willing things to, to happen and doing things. But if it says in the beginning chance, then everything falls apart. Then there is no right and wrong. Then there, I mean, then there is no ethics. See, we can create stuff. We can make stuff. We can reformulate stuff, technology, but no one can, can decide then how to best use it. These things are tools. We make tools, but deciding how and why a thing should be used and whether it's good or bad to use it that way is a matter of ethics. And if there's no God, then there's no ethics. Then, there's no, then, then life is meaningless. Then we're just chance. Then live like a hog and die like a dog and go for it, right? Because this is all you've got. And do you see what that, do you see what we've created in my generation, the generations just before me that have taught people and taught kids? And it's so ingrained, you go witnessing, and it's so ingrained in people that this is just a mythological story and that the real reality is the Big Bang and evolution. And, and beware, when you're talking to someone about evolution, make sure you define your terms. Because when one person says evolution, it means one thing. To another person, it means something different. We have no problem with adaptation, natural selection, genetics, all provides for that. What we have an issue with is changing of species. And that's a very difficult thing. Uh, and, and that's why there's the great search for these intermediary species. And I just look at a tree and I'm thinking... I can't be related to that. I mean, like, I don't have to have a degree in science to look at a tree or, or a pygmy shrew and think I cannot be related to that thing. I just can't be. It doesn't make any sense. So if you put in the beginning chance, 
a lot of things go haywire. A lot of things in, in life, a lot of things in the world go haywire. There is no meaning. There is no hope. There is no help. There is no ethics. There's no right. There's no wrong. Life is cheap. Life is chance. In the beginning, God. And I hope that's how you will finish that sentence. Because if that's not the answer, then, then we're in a lot of trouble. And we see that trouble having taught kids that they're just, they're, you know, a monkey's relative of a monkey. And so kids monkey around and they got proof for it from Darwin. And but the question is, and I said before, I said Genesis 1, 1 gives us, or Genesis 1 gives us the beginning of almost everything. What it doesn't beginning give us is the beginning of God because there, he had no beginning. Now, another question you might ask is, so what was going on before the beginning? Because when we say in the beginning, the beginning of what? The beginning of the visible creation and the invisible creation. There's things that God created that are visible and invisible. There's the visible universe that we can see. Then there's the invisible universe that we can't see. That's beyond where we can reach, beyond where we can go. But before that, there was God, the Father, God, the Son, God, the Spirit. We know Christ involved with creation uh, from the book of Colossians. We see here in verse 2, the Spirit of God involved with creation. Uh, Let me read to you a couple verses. John 17, uh, verse 5. And now, O Father, glorify me together with yourself with the glory which I had with you when? Before the world was. Jesus was with the Father in glory before the world was. See, this is not the beginning of everything. This one will blow your mind. This one will really blow your mind. Ephesians 1, 3 to 6 says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ, just as he chose us in him when? Before the foundation of the world. Figure that one out. I wasn't born until 1969. How did he choose me before the foundation of the world? You think something just comes into existence when it's made? If you're an artist and you like to create, and I like to create, I like to make stuff, but it all begins up here, which is a scary place. But I think about what I want to make, and I plan it out in my head, and then I make it. According, and sometimes I write the plans down. Usually not. Usually it's more fun to work it out as I go. But that plan then gets worked out according to what's in my mind. You existed in the mind of God before you were ever born. Not only that, but he chose you before you did anything good or bad in your life. That's what this is. And, and before he created the world, before he created the earth, you were already chosen in him. It's a good thing because he had never chosen us afterwards. I must have made some mistake. You know? First Peter 1 Peter 1.20 to 21. He indeed, speaking of Jesus, was foreordained before the foundation of the world. Speaking of the sacrifice. He was a lamb slain before the foundation of the world. All this happening before and outside of Genesis 1.1. Now the question I have is, why did God bother to create it all? Wasn't he happy just hanging out with the Son and the Spirit? I mean, being the Trinity? Couldn't they be satisfied that way? I, I suppose they could. They were complete, harmonious, unified, Why did God bother to create? I don't, I can't say, you know, again, that's a philosophical question. I have my thoughts and ideas on that, but I wouldn't present them to you as doctrine. 
But uh, that, we'll, we'll cover that another time. Just food for thought. Why did he create? We don't know, but he did. And the fact that this says in the beginning, God created. And the word for create is bara, B-A-R-A. Uh, he created from nothing. And that word is only used of the creative work of God. See, all we can do as human beings is we can sort of rearrange stuff. Cut it, saw it, paste it, glue it, weld it, you know, reformulate it. Uh, but we can't create out of nothing. Boy, I wish we could. That would make the honey-do list really easy, right? That'd make Christmas a snap, wouldn't it? What do you want for Christmas? Boom, done. There it is. But we can't do that. Human beings cannot do that. But, but God, we have a creative God. And, and maybe he created just because that's who he is. He's expressing himself in his creation. And he's revealing himself in his creation. Because remember, the creation always does, it's always, number one, smaller than the creator. You can't create something bigger or greater than yourself. So when God creates, his creation represents him and it demonstrates him, but not fully. We're never going to fully understand the greatness and the majesty and the power and the omniscience and the omnipotence of God. We understand a part of it and pieces of it because we can't even comprehend the universe we live in. And it, it always reveals the glory of the creator is the other thing. So this past summer we were in Florence, Italy, and we went to this museum it's a mosaic museum. Back in the day, in the 14, 1500s, the um, aristocracy would pay to, uh, to perpetuate the arts. They were, they, they were into that. They loved the arts, and they would pay and, and commission artists to develop great works of art, right? So the uh, Medici family loved mosaics, and so they had a whole studio, <coughs> excuse me, dedicated to making these mosaics, not little tile mosaics, we're talking about Precious stone mosaics. They had these precious stones they gathered from around the world. And then they would slice them very, very, almost paper thin. And having already painted a picture, then they would begin to, to uh, cut these very small stones, very thinly sliced, into these perfect shapes. And the finished product was nothing short of absolutely astounding. And even more astounding when you think about the crude tools they had to work with. No electricity. No lasers, none of the modern tools we have. And we walked to that museum. I would go back in a heartbeat. My mouth was open the whole time as I walked through that museum, just looking at these mosaic, mosaics, uh, tables, and the colors of the stones. Unbelievable. And then I got to thinking about what that spoke about, the artists that did it. See, the challenge is we, worship, we see the creation and we worship it. And, and God says, that's the mistake. Instead of worshiping the creation, what we see created, science, and, and our study of the things, and the more we know, the more fascinating it gets, you know, uh, that should all direct us to where? The worship of the creator, the one who made the artist. And the artist of this world, the artist of this universe, is God himself. And I can imagine him, can you imagine how he, uh, listening in the conversations and the attempt of everybody to, to sort of if I'd walked through that museum and said, wow, amazing that these colors just happen to come together just right to form that. Wow, what a, what a, what a I would say, what a miracle. What a chance that, that that's incredible. But if I say, hey, there must be an artistic mind behind putting these things together in just that right way, then I say, well, that person, whoever that is, whoever the artist did that did this, my hat is off to them because I could never do that. That is awesome. 
And that's just a piece of artwork. Now, in the beginning, God created bar out of nothing. What did he create? The heavens and the earth. And these things have, have been more inspiring. I mean, you think about the Psalms that have been written. You know, when I see the work of your hands and the firmament. And think about what it meant to Job that in the beginning God created. As God comes to Job and, and says, now Job, I'm going to give you a lesson in this earth. Where were you when I laid the foundations of the earth? Are you old enough? He even asked Job. Were, were you around, are you old enough that you were around when I did it? Did I need your help? Did I need you to instruct me in how to do this? I think I was okay without you. No need for God to defend himself. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And so we look at the heavens and the earth. And uh, Thomas Paine, who is a, a, a deist that didn't believe in, in, in the church and God, but did believe, I mean, it did believe in God, said everything we behold carries in itself the internal evidence that it did not make itself. Every man is an evidence to himself that he did not make himself. So clearly, the universe can't create itself. We've talked about that. We didn't create ourselves. The fact that I exist points to the fact that I had parents. They might not know who they are or where they are, but they exist, and I bear their resemblance. Romans 1, for since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and his Godhead. So they're without excuse, because although they knew God, they did not glorify him as God, nor were thankful, but became futile in their thoughts, and their foolish hearts were darkened. And that's what's happening. The more we reject God. Uh, look, the, one book I, re- I, I read, I didn't write it. <laughs> I don't write any books on this. One book I read by, again, a secular source, not a Christian source, said the miraculous thing about our universe is that math works. Why should we live in such a universe? If it's just by chance, why should we live in a universe where math, we depend on math to work? It doesn't, you, you don't figure out 2 plus 2 is 4 today, but I don't know what it'll be tomorrow. You know, why, how can they send uh, ships, spaceships to the moon? Because they can predict where it's going to be. How do they do that? By math. Because it works every day, year in, year out. The equations work. And, and one author that I read would say, it, 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 it made, if you don't believe in God, everything certainly appears as if it was intelligently designed. You have to decide for yourself if it was or not. But it certainly has the appearance that it was. We serve a God of order, and we see a universe of order that doesn't reflect chance and and chaos. The heavens and the earth. So, again, we look at the heavens. The visible creation reveals the invisible creator. How big is God? Well, how big is the universe? Averaging out the types of stars in our galaxy, this would produce an answer about 100 billion stars in our galaxy. This is subject to change, however, depending on how many stars are bigger and smaller than our own sun, although the estimates uh, say the Milky Way could have 2 billion stars or more. The number of galaxies is an astonishing number and is shown by imagining uh, experiments, uh, bef- or excuse me, imaging experiments by the Hubble Space Telescope. 1995, the exposure of a small spot in Ursa Major revealed about 3,000 faint galaxies. In 2003 to 4, Using upgraded instruments, they, the scientists looked again at a smaller spot in the constellation Fornax and found 10,000 galaxies. An even more detailed investigation in 2012 with better instruments showed 
uh, about 5,500 galaxies even more. So the estimate, a very rough, uh, rough estimate of 10 trillion galaxies in the universe. You know, give or take a few trillion. 10 trillion galaxies. You multiply that by the Milky Way's estimated 100 billion stars, and you come up with a number of 100 octillion stars, or a 1 with 29 zeros after it. And, he says, that number is likely a gross underestimation as the more detailed looks at the universe show even more galaxies. And it's no wonder that in Psalm 19, the psalmist says, The heavens declare the glory of God, and the firmament shows his handiwork. Day unto day utters speech, and night unto night reveals knowledge. There's no speech or language where their voice is not heard. This is the gospel that's preached throughout the world, the existence of the heavens and the, and the universe. So the interesting thing about it, though, is he created the heavens, and then the focus is on the earth, not, uh, not the sun or whatever else. The, the focus specifically here is on the earth. And the interesting thing about this is we could have been created anywhere. We could live on the biggest planet in the biggest, you, you know, uh, star, or pl- biggest planet in the biggest galaxy in the universe, but we don't. Turns out, cosmologically speaking, Earth is, is not, well, the Milky Way is not a real central galaxy. We're sort of in the rural area. We're not in, in, a, in a bulk of galaxies. And not only that, Earth is very, very, very small and not at the center of the Milky Way. Which to me, see, experts are, are busy trying to find two very, two very important things. They're trying to, to create life in a laboratory. Because if they can do it in a laboratory, then they can say, well, it could have happened by chance somewhere else. And they're desperately trying to find life where? In outer space. Desperately. Desperately trying to find life in outer space. To the tune of billions and billions of dollars. I, I printed this article out. Oh boy, we're getting close to time. Yeah, hang with me. I'll cut to the chase here. The, uh, they're talking about the budget for exploring space and, and Mars and this fascination with, if only, you see, because we're so unique here on Earth with such a small planet in the middle of nowhere in the universe, and, and it's like experts look at that and go, well, we shouldn't be here. Or if we are here, life should be everywhere. And that's a real conundrum to the experts in these things doesn't make sense. So they know, they know, they know that life has got to be out there somewhere else. So they're desperately searching for it to the tune of billions and billions and billions of dollars. And the issue is simply this. It, is, it could bring humanity closer to answering the ultimate question, are we alone in the universe? It's the search for the meaning of life, said Alden Munson, a senior fellow at the Potomac University for Policy Studies, a science and technology think tank based in Arlington, Virginia. When planetary scientists assembled Uh, at the National Academies to set research priorities for the next decade, they said the search for conditions that would allow life to emerge on Mars topped the list. This is the number one thing that these folks are concerned about, spending billions and billions of dollars because they want to find out that maybe at one time in the history of our universe, life possibly could have existed on Mars. Why? Because if it existed there by chance, it can exist here by chance, and we don't need God. They're spending billions of dollars to prove that God didn't exist. And they're coming up empty. They're coming up empty. Because we are extremely unique. But isn't that just like God? Isn't that just like God to take his creation and put it in a humble, insignificant place? See, to me, that just speaks more about God. Because it's God that takes Gideon. Gideon who says, God says, Gideon, you're my miracle. I want to use you. 
And Gideon says, but God, my clan is the smallest clan. And, and I'm the weakest in my clan. Why would you want to use me? And it's, and it's 1 Corinthians, Paul says, God uses the foolish things of the world to confound the wise. So they're the wise, they're all scratching their head going, we really should see life elsewhere, but we don't, and that freaks us out. And God says, good, I'm glad it does. That's why I did it that way. And after I'm done putting, you know, my creation in this insignificant place, then I'm going to create the platypus and see what you guys do with that. We don't get that. He says, is it a mammal? Is it a, what is it? It's got a beaver's tail and a duck's bill. It's hairy and lays eggs. I don't know what to do with this thing. God says, good. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. A little bit more, and and we'll bring this to a close. The the focus now becomes the earth of, of, in the midst of all this. The earth was without form and void, and darkness was on the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the water. So we see, it says the earth was without form and void. Some people believe it should be translated the earth became without form and void, because here we see God creating something that is chaotic, something that's formless, something that's empty, and and the idea is that God would not do that. So it must have been orderly, and then somehow, and what it gets inserted between Genesis 1-1 and 1-2 is what's called the gap theory, that there was some cataclysmic judgment on Satan, that's where he fell, everything was chaotic, and then God restored things to order. But uh, it's convenient because then it adds, allows for billions of years and it allows for the fossil record and, and all that stuff. The problem is fossils mean animals died and life died. And that doesn't happen until Genesis chapter 3. Until sin enters the world, right? So that can't be the gap theory. can't be consistent theologically. It, it doesn't really fit in there. People have tried to put it in there. But really uh, what works in, in, in the uh, language linguistically is just what it says. The earth was without form and void. So God created all the, the initial elements. This too freaks out scientists because life is so easy. Hydrogen, oxygen, carbon, these things that are all readily available. Life should be everywhere, but it's not. But there was, in the beginning, these basic elements, you could say, um, but they were not brought together. They were without form, and, and nothing had been uh, not inhabited yet. And darkness was on the face of the deep, or the, the face of the presence of all these things. And then we see the Spirit of God there um, hovering, uh, literally fluttering, or uh, one man said, vibrating over the face of the earth. Or, excuse me, the face of the waters, the presence of this watery cre- you know, creation, uh, which is interesting because how does everything in the universe work? Well, waves. Now, how could mankind sit and, and, if this was just man's writing, how could a person think that? How could a person know that at this day and age when this was written in the time of Moses? How could, how could a man, how could simply a human being pondering the things and, and thinking how, how, how things came into creation, how could they create light before the sun? Why would a human being think that? Someone would look up and go, well, the sun, there's light. That's where it comes from. That would, would a, that's what a human would write, but that's not what we find in Genesis. So certainly a godly account, the Spirit of God uh, involved here, vibrating or setting things then into motion, energy being introduced again into this equation. Do I understand it? No way but I believe it.
and I stake my life on it. That in the beginning, God created. So now it is yours to consider. Many of you, you're here already. You're like, yes, and thank God. I'm glad it wasn't up to me to create. You know, what, would, what would it look like if you created? Oh, my goodness. We'll pick up in, in verse 3, and we'll start to look at the days of creation uh, next week. But certainly lots to consider. You know, God creates, again, revealing himself, he creates something in chaos, and then he brings it into order. And I think that, that I just want to leave you with that thought. He could have done it any way he wanted. He could have created everything orderly. But he chose to create it in chaos, bring it into order. And, and I think that's what he's telling you and me is if you look at your life today and you go, my life is a wreck. My life is in chaos. My family's in chaos. My mind is in chaos. God specializes in that. And he proves that he can bring chaos into order. And when you get back, you, you may be questioning these things. You may be questioning Genesis 1-1. You, you know, I don't know. How can I ever know? You'll never know scientifically. No one will ever be able to prove these things to you scientifically. Whether it's God or chance, it's faith. And you will believe something. When you say, I'm going with the Bible, I'm going with in the beginning God created, then your chaos begins to become order. Because now you know there's an order to things. And it's God, Jesus, you. You're, you're not at the top of the list. And people today need to know that. Because people think they're at the top of the pecking order. We're the, we're the pinnacle of creation. Or the pinnacle of chance, I guess I should say. But when you put your faith in God, all of this, by the way, let me just say this one more thing. Oh my goodness, it's time. Um, let me just say this one last thing. I'm going to invite Phil, if you would come up, please, so we can um, close with a song. But I, I want to remind you this one thing. All of this is proved by one thing, the belief in what the Bible says, the resurrection of Jesus Christ. You can clap for that. Because Jesus validates Genesis. And if Jesus is God, and, God is, and if that's validated by his resurrection, then we have no trouble believing in the beginning God created. If you can believe that, you can believe the rest of the story. It's no problem for him to recreate. It's no problem for him to save. It's no problem for him to resurrect. And the resurrection of Jesus Christ proves he was God, proves what he said was, was true. And if he said, in the beginning God created the male and female, let what God joined, let not man separate, then he validates our very account here. And we can bank on it. So if you want to see order to your life, you want to see things kind of line up for you, you've got to put God first. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Father, as we close, uh, I pray that uh, we would be a people that do endeavor to put you first, that you are at the forefront of our minds, that you are the, you're certainly, Lord, in the church, that you have the preeminence. You may be rejected in the world, but Lord, we welcome you again here to be the head of your body, to be the head of our lives, to be the king of my heart. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.